always feel like I should be doing some sort of Irish jig after that music. I don't know why that is, but uh, uh, as some of you, some of you may know, uh, I drive a really nice souped-up 2007 um, Saturn Ion. Okay, and if you don't know what a Saturn Ion is, it's what it sounds like. Okay, um, it's not uh, it's not a very nice car necessarily, but uh, that's what I got, and um, I got. Over, I got almost 240,000 miles on this thing. And so at this point, I'm like, how far can I go? You know what I mean? Like, how far can I drive this thing? It's not worth anything and without putting any money into it because I don't want to put money into it. And so it's almost like a game uh, for me. And, um, and so, yeah, that's what I do. And so, some, you know, even, and it's kind of nice. Like, there's pluses and negatives to having a car that you don't care about, right? Pluses is when your kid runs into it with their bike, you don't care. Okay, when something falls off of it, um, you're like, all right, well, that's good. Number one, my car weighs less now, so I get better gas mileage. And number two, that thing can't break because it's no longer with us. And so um, there's, some, there's some positives to that. And uh, this past week, I realized um, that I hadn't gotten an oil change for a long time. And I know that's not a good thing. And so I decided to take it in on Thursday uh, to a place here in Tiffin that, uh, that does that. And I just want to say right off the bat that I know some of you men out there, you are judging me hardcore right now because I took it to a place to get the oil changed and I'm not changing myself. And I just want to say, I respect that judgment, okay? <laughs> I understand that and that makes sense to me, but it's so convenient and I'm in the habit of doing it. So that's just what I do. So I took it in. And, um, and, I mean, this car, you know, it, I got to be gentle with it because who knows, any day could be her last day. And so I take the keys and I give it to the guy at the counter and uh, I tell him all, um, you know, I'm like, I already know it's a half quart low on oil or it's a whole quart, it's a quart low on oil and you don't have to call me back in here to tell me that. That's bad. I already know that's bad and that's why I'm bringing it in here. And so I'm telling him all that stuff and I give him the keys and I'm like, I'm trusting you with this, right? I'm going for like... You know, the ION record, which is probably, you know, I don't know. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm probably close to that on mileage. And so um, I go and uh, I walk outside and I'm just going to stand out there and, and wait, you know, for 40 minutes or however long it takes. And um, my plan is I'm just going to think about my message because today we're going to be talking about relationships, which is complicated. And uh, so I'm like, and sometimes I just need a change of scenery. You can ask anybody here at work or at church. Um, they find me in all sorts of weird places trying to think through my messages. And so um, I'm, I'm thinking through how I'm going to do this, and I'm outside. And sure enough, just a few minutes later, I see a young mechanic. He's got my car keys in hand, and he's walking out to my car, and he gets in my car. And my car is a, it's a, it's a stick, okay? So it's a manual. Um, can you drive a manual, you guys all? Okay, most of us in here. Yeah, I kind of like that, to be honest. And uh, no one can steal my car, so that's good. No one wants to steal my car, though, so it doesn't matter. So anyway, I, um, I'm, I'm out there, and I'm watching this guy. And right off the bat, I could tell he doesn't know what he's doing. And so he gets it in reverse, and he, uh, and he tries to put it in, for, in, in forward, I, I guess, in, or in first gear, and, he, uh, and he's pressing the gas. So it's like revving, the, it's like, ee, ee, and I'm like, bro, you're in neutral. <laughs> you know, pressing the clutch. Like, I'm about to go out there and have a, you know, teach him what to do here. And, um, and then he finally gets it into first gear, and then it's like, you know, it stalls out. You guys have all been there, or a lot of you guys. 
If you've ever driven a stick, all right, unless you were perfect your first time, you've been there. And he stalls out. And then he turns it back on. For some reason, he's like pressing the gas. So he's revving the engine. I'm like, put it into, come on, man. And then he, you know, and then he puts it into first. And it's like, he stalls out again. He does this like five or six times. And I don't know, I'm not saying I'm an expert about cars. I don't know if this is bad for cars. But I know for sure that this is not good for the car. And, uh, and again, she's kind of on her last leg. So I'm a little concerned at this point. There's a, a, one of the workers, she's a lady, she comes out, she sees what's going on, and she's like telling him uh, what to do. She's giving him instructions like do this, do that, and, um, and he can't do it. He's just like, you know, every time he starts it off, he goes like, the car like jumps because it jerks back and forth. It like jumps like two feet, and that's how he's getting it to the garage door. It's taken a long time. And so he finally gets it to the garage door in front of it. And then he gets out and she gets in. And I'm like, finally, someone who knows what they're doing, who knows how to drive this car, will pull her in. And again, she's old and she's tired. You got to treat her gently. A little compassion here. And then she gets in. She turns on. She can't do it either. She does that a few times. They finally get the thing in. And as I'm standing there watching them, and I'll be honest, I was looking down on them a little, like, bro, you're a professional mechanic. Like, this is what you do. Like, you should be able to drive any car. But um, as I'm standing there, I'm thinking to myself, and again, I'm there thinking about my message and how to do relationships and how to, how to go through what we're going to be going through today. You know, I, was, I, I thought to myself, I was like, you know what, I wonder if God ever looks at us trying to do relationships the same way that I'm looking at them trying to drive my car, you know? Uh, relationships, they're just one of those things that uh, we got to remember that God invented, all right? So it's not our thing. This is God's thing. This is how God created us. We were meant to do life together. And relationships, by the way, work very, 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 very well when we do them right. And by the way, let me just clarify. When I say relationships, I'm not talking about like the dating relationship only. I'm talking about all kinds of relationships. We got relationships with people at work and at home and at school and just all over the place. So this involves any type of relationship that we have. They work really well when we do them the right way. And a lot of times we go into any type of relationship and we think we know what we're doing and we go in with confidence and then something happens that we don't know what to deal with or something happens that we weren't expecting. And what happens? Usually we have people around us who are telling us what to do. Hey, you need to try this. Hey, you need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do that. Just all this stuff. And the world's constantly telling us what to say, how to treat people, how to think. And a lot of times we even are well-intended or well-intentioned. And I think a lot of times we tend to make things worse and worse and worse. Literally, our relationships keep stalling out. We get a little bit farther, and then it stalls out again. We hit something that we weren't expecting. We're just like, okay, well, how do I handle this? We finally get past that, and then we stall out again. That's just how it seems like we do when, for each and every one of us when we're doing relationships. Paul's going to talk a lot about that today. Um, here at Grace, over the last five to six weeks, we have been um, going through the, Paul's letter to the Colossian church. And what I want us to remember as we go through this today is that Paul, when he's writing this letter, he is sitting in a Roman prison um, and he's writing this short letter to a new little group of Christians in a small city that Paul had actually never even been to. And he didn't know a lot of these people. And so last week, we actually hit a pivot point 
let's call it, in Paul's letter, where the first half of Paul's letter, he is going into detail saying, hey, this is who Jesus is. Jesus is God. Jesus is king. Jesus is supreme. He is actually the image of the invisible God. Jesus owns the world. He owns everything, and everything exists because at one point he decided that should exist. And even right now, Jesus is the one who's holding everything together. And so Paul describes Jesus, and then he describes our relationship with him, saying that we were actually enemies of God, right? which is kind of weird to think about. That's how God viewed us. We were enemies of him, and inside, spiritually, we were dead. And what's crazy about this whole story, the story of the Bible, is that Jesus didn't just use that authority and power to crush us or rule us. He actually gave us the ability to choose. And what's, what's just nuts is that Jesus, God of the universe, stepped off of his throne and he went running after us. Is that crazy? He went running after you and ultimately he gave his life. And he erased the debt that we owed him for all of our sin because we're all messed up. And he gave us the ability to become alive in a spiritual and very, very, very real sense. And so Paul has just described all that. We spent four weeks looking at that stuff in the first half of the letter. And then Paul transitions. And so um, he's saying basically, hey, you know, his, the way he's doing this is he's like, so we understand who Jesus actually is. And we understand what Jesus did for us. Now the question is, how does that change my life? So what? What's that do for me? And Paul makes it pretty easy. Last week, we talked about kind of the two categories that Paul's like, you got to watch out for. It's our mouth and it's sexual stuff. And so basically, it's keep your mouth shut, right, and keep your pants on. And if you can handle those things, you'll be all right. But that's not all that he tells us. He also says, hey, you also need to do life together, right? There's a community aspect to our Christian life that we need to do. And remember the wording that he used? He says, bear with each other, meaning put up with each other. You'll be okay. And he gives us a list of things that we need to put on, like clothes. He talks about patience, all the stuff we don't like to do, right? I mean, it talks about patience and forgiveness and compassion and kindness and humility and love. And what he's basically teaching us is that spirituality always works itself out in community, right? It just always does. That's how God designed it. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to piggyback right off of where we left off last week. And so Paul has already laid the foundation and the groundwork for saying, hey, relationships, man, they're important. All right, they're actually key to your relationship with God, other Christians in your life. And uh, today, what he's going to do is he's going to kind of point out the three, maybe um, for sure, the three most important relationship categories in your life. And really, just a fair warning, um, I could totally do three sermons on each of these categories, and uh, sometimes we do series where we do a couple of them, but uh, today we're going to hit all three, all right, so it's going to be a big deal, and we're going to go quick, but uh, today he's going to talk about marriage, and so relationships between husband and wife, he's going to talk about the parenting relationships, so the relationship between parents and kids, and then he's going to talk about the work relationships, so relationships between employers and Employees, and just fair warning, I'm about to offend a little bit of everybody today, okay? So, sorry for that right off the bat. Um, wives, guess what? You're up first. Um, it's interesting, every time the Bible talks about marriage and instructs us in marriage, which again is God's idea, okay? We didn't invent this. Um, 
he always starts with wives. And I don't know exactly why that is, but I like to think that it's probably because, you know, you've heard the saying, mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And so if you get mama happy, we're good, but this might not make mama happy, at least at the beginning. But here we go. All right. Um, Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, the very next verse of where we left off last week, he says, wives, submit. Okay, now let's talk about what that word means before we go any further. Actually, let's just, let's just read the whole verse. All right. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, I know wives, this is like your favorite verse and your life verse, and you have this verse memorized, and you got this verse like crocheted on all your pillows at home, I'm sure. Um, it's your favorite one. Now, let me explain a few things. Let's dive a little deeper into this because this is a touchy subject in our culture. All right, this is what we know, 100%. This is what the Bible tells us. We know that both men and women are made in the image of God, okay? The Bible tells us, God tells us that. Uh, we know that both men and women have equal access to God, and both men and women are equally valued by God. But what we see in the Bible and how God teaches and directs us is that he has given man or men and women different roles specifically within the family. And so here's what, this is what scripture screams, right? Here's God saying, hey, I value you equally. I love you guys both and I made you guys different. And I did that on purpose. He gave us different roles specifically within two areas, the home and the church. Now, let me just point out what this does not say. This does not say women Submit to men, right? It's not there. It does not say that. That is not at all what Paul is saying. So ladies, you go run your company, go lead, go manage, go become president of the United States. I don't care, all right? In fact, that probably would be a good thing. And so uh, you guys, you ladies, you guys go do your thing. But in the home, this is God's thing, not mine, all right? In the home, God has designed husbands to lead. Now, so the question comes to, what does God mean by submit. And it means a whole lot of things. Um, but probably if I were to boil this down to something easy, basically, wives, it, it, what he means is our, your attitude needs to be your deal is a bigger deal than my deal. Does that make sense? All right, just keep it simple. The attitude of your deal towards your husbands, your deal is a bigger deal than my deal. Now, does that mean wives are second place? No. Does that mean wives should sit back and be silent? No. Does that mean they should never give their opinion? No. Does that mean they should check out of the marriage or check out of family? Absolutely not. In fact, the Bible gives us a great example of how a God-fearing wife should be. And we see this in Proverbs chapter 31. And by the way, I would invite um, all of you wives and, um, and let's say future wives, if that's you, uh, you should go read that today. Just read the whole chapter. It's not very long. It's very short. Proverbs 31, it just is God's kind of spelling out saying, hey, this is what a, an example of what a godly life would look like. And you see her, and, uh, and she's not checked out of anything in the family. In fact, this, this woman, she, I mean, this lady, she's, she's getting some stuff done. I mean, she's like buying and selling real estate. She's starting small businesses. I mean, she is doing stuff. She is all in. And so wives... You need to choose, this is the submission part, you need to choose to allow your husband to lead. And even when he is not leading to your standard or not leading the way that you think he should lead, you need to follow him, right? It's on him. And I get that super hard, and I get that's totally against our natural desire, but it will not be easy for him to lead if he has to constantly compete for leadership in the home. 
right? It just won't. Um, actually, I don't know of any man can lead a wife who does not want to be led. Like, I just don't see that. And what I see when I'm doing, like, marriage counseling and stuff like that is that most men I know, they are going to lead at something, okay? They just are. That's just how God has, it's just something that God has put into men. And, I mean, I'm just saying just men, but that's something that God has put into men. And the question that, get, that needs to be asked is, where is that going to happen? So if a man is going to lead, no matter what, the question is, where is he going to lead? And the answer to that question is, he is going to lead where he feels more confident to lead. Right? Partly is because we're all lazy, and that's just how we are. We're going to lead where it's easiest. And so, ladies, you ever wonder why he does such a god good or such a good job, um, or he leads so strongly leading at work and not at home? Because you know what they do for him at work? They give him a title. They give him a little name badge that has his name on it. And then underneath it says assistant manager. And then they give him a desk. And then they, uh, he can tell people what to do. And they actually, they actually do it. And he gets respect. And he has, gets to go to meetings. And he gets to do this. And he gets to do that. And, uh, and then if he does a really, really, really good job of leading, you know what they do? They give him a prize. Right? They give him a raise, or he gets to move up to the next level, or they give him a bonus, and, uh, and, and they give him a reward if he leads well. And then he comes home, and then he's told he's too late, he's failing at this, he's failing at that, he doesn't feel like he's good enough, he doesn't get respect, and then he asks people in his family to do things, and everybody's like, nah, no way I'm doing that, and no one does it, and, and it's, just, it's just not good. So naturally, he's going to, I'm not saying it's right, I'm just saying this is just the reality of it, unfortunately, is naturally guys shift their leadership to the place where it's easier for them to lead. And wives, what we, what, we, I'm not a wife, um, wives... What you need to do is you, your job is to make him feel like a man. That's it. Your job is to make him feel like a man in your marriage, as a leader, at work, in his career, as a dad, in the bedroom. I mean, all these areas within a marriage, your job is to make him think that you actually think that he can lead. Right? Your job is to make him think that he actually has what it takes to lead in the family, even though we all know that you could probably do better. Okay? So I get that. That's your job. It's interesting because in the Bible, um, God gives us kind of two different types of wives. It's interesting because he only gives us kind of two extremes. There doesn't really seem to be anybody in the middle. All right? It's just how the Bible spells it out. And he describes one as the excellent wife. And God describes the excellent wife as like a crown to her husband's head. All right? That's pretty cool. Um, and then he describes the opposite. And he says, and then you have the nagging wife. That's how he describes it. And he says, the nagging wife, God describes, is like rot in his bones. That ain't good. All right? Either you are a, wives, either you are a crown or you are a cancer, all right, to your husband. Again, there doesn't really seem to be much in the middle. And so whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, the husband, what God tells us, is a leader in the home. That's just how, I don't know, man, that's just, it's just how it is. It's just how God has created him. He may be a good one, he may be a bad one, but he is the leader. And I totally understand that the word submit is not very popular in our culture today, but either is staying married, right? And so husbands... He talks to you next. My guess is the idea of leading 
um, probably isn't what you naturally think. And Paul is going to point the fingers at you next. He says this, husbands, all right? talks to us. He says, I want you to love your wives. Now this word love, I think a lot of us guys, we read this kind of naturally and we're just like, oh, check. I love my wife. Done. Next. What else, what else God got for me? I, I got that done. Now you got to understand this is a deeper love than just like I love the Buckeyes. Okay. It's a lot deeper than that. There's a lot of things we say we love. Um, this is a self-sacrificial love. It, actually, in, the, in Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, which is very, very, very similar to Colossians, um, Paul, he goes into more detail about what he means by the word love is he's saying, hey, husbands, you need to love your wives. And this is sacrifice, okay? Th- like, that's a part of it, a self-sacrificial love, meaning, husbands, you need to sacrifice yourself for your wife and your children. And even that, I think some of us, because we're hard-headed, right, us dudes, we're like, oh, yeah, I'd sacrifice myself for her. Like, I'd take a bullet for my wife. It's more than that. <laughs> my bet, like, I don't know your wife as good as you do, okay? But my bet is that your wife would rather you live for her every day rather than die for her one day, okay? Just saying. Just throwing that out there. That means a self-sacrificial love is, all right, her needs come before your needs. Your needs get sacrificed, Okay? That means her wants come before your wants. See, I talk to many guys, especially within counseling and stuff like that, where it's just like they work, 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 and they, their excuse for, for working so long and not really taking their eyes off of leading the family and taking their eyes on work, which, by the way, work is good. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But he's, a lot of guys, they, they use the excuse to be like, man, I'm doing this for my family. Right? Yeah, I'm working, and yeah, I got to, you know, I'm, maybe I'm not spending as much time at home as I should, but I'm doing it for my family. I'm doing it so we could go on that vacation, or I'm doing it so we can have that lifestyle, or I'm doing it so we can have that boat or that car or whatever it might be. And I'm just telling you men out there, like, if you are rolling through work every week, and you're not thinking, like, you know, and you're doing it, and you're in your mind, you're like, well, I'm doing this for my family. I, I'm providing, you know, I'm providing for my family, doing the manly thing. Right? But if you're rolling through work every week and you're not thinking or asking your wife about what she thinks or about what she wants, you're doing that for you. You're doing it so you get the boat. Right? You're doing it so you can live that lifestyle. They're just kind of along for the ride and you're using that to make yourself feel good about it. So this is a self-sacrificial type of love, a love that is so hard for us dudes to do. Okay, just this. He says, husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter towards them. It's so interesting that he brings up this bitterness thing. um, Because he doesn't do that with the wives. He does this with the husbands. And I'm not saying that only husbands and wives, you know, I'm not saying that wives can't be bitter. Obviously, we know that can happen. But here he specifically wants to point to husbands. He's saying, hey, as the leader, man, you got to watch out that bitterness does not creep into your life. See, I think a lot of us. We carry around a lot of bitterness about our spouse or with our spouse, right? We, we think we hold on to things that we didn't appreciate, like that time that she corrected me in front of those people or that time she said this or that time she did that. And, or she just, I don't, just don't feel respected. If she's not going to respect me, then, then I'm, not, you know, I'm, not, I'm not in this anymore. And you know what we do when we carry around that bitterness? Us guys, at least. We quit. It's just what we do. It's like putting all this 
effort into what we view as like a losing team. Like nobody wants to do that. I'm not saying that's right. All right, we should be putting all our effort into it. But we naturally just want to quit. Like we quit. I'm not saying we walk out of the marriage, which, by the way, a lot of people do. That's why we have so many divorces in the world today. All right, I'm saying what we do a lot more often is we quit leading, we quit loving, we quit sacrificing for our family. Like, yeah, we live there and we're married, but our heart's not in it. And because of that, we end up dealing with our wife or treating our wife harshly. And here's Paul saying, don't do that. That's not how a Christian is supposed to act. Right? This, that, do not quit. Do not let go of that build, bitterness. Or, no, that was wrong. All right? Let go of that bitterness, all right, he's saying. You got you to gotta let that go. Men, you need to step up and lead. So just to boil this down to what he's saying to both wife and husband, he's saying, husbands, your job is to make your wife feel like she is the most valuable thing in your world. Because your wife should be, apart from your relationship with God, she should be the most valuable thing in your world. And the wives, you need to make your husband feel like a man. All right? If we can handle that, we'd have some awesome, great marriages in our church. Okay. Next up, kids. All right? Yeah, you're going to wish you went to Grace Kids this morning. All right, children. Now, let me stop. Let me just define this real quick. What's a child? Because we got a, a bunch of people are like, you know, this is just a bunch of questions around this. Um, biblically speaking, if you are still living in your parents' home, okay, this applies to you. All right? So if you're living in your parents' home, it's your parents' house. You got your parents' rules, okay? That's just how it goes. And I know some of you guys are sitting there, you're like, well, I'm 22. I'm a man. Okay, well, that's good um, that you think that, but go get yourself a man job and then pay your man bills and fold your own man underwear and you could be a man too, okay? So you take care of that, you work on that, and move on out and you'll be a man. And then you don't have to obey, which is what he's going to say. So um, he's saying, hey, children, so if that is you, okay, he says, this is what I want you to do. This is how you manage your relationship with your parents. He says, obey them in everything. Okay, so if you're a kid sitting here this morning, and if you're like I was when I was a kid, I'd be looking through this, and I'm like, all right, so let me try to think of a situation that maybe doesn't fall under these categories so I could think of a situation that this doesn't apply to me. And uh, I just want to say, if you could think of a situation that doesn't fall into the category of everything, all right, you're good. That doesn't count. But if you can't, and everything that you think of does fall into the category of everything, this is you, okay? God's saying, obey. That's how it's supposed to work. That's how he has designed um, this relationship to go. All right, kids, <laughs> let me say this. Where are my kids at? You got kids? Raise your hand. You could, yeah, a little bit. Uh, <laughs> parents are like, come on, raise your hand. They're like, no, he's going to call me. I'm not going to call you out. Um, let me just say this. I want you to remember that your parents ain't perfect. And some of you kids are like, oh, I knew that. <laughs> don't, don't nod your head. I see you. I understand that. Um, one day, at, it was Valentine's Day when I was in elementary school. I uh, was getting ready to leave the house. And remember Valentine's Day, like in elementary school? Like, that's a fun day. You get a bunch of candy. You don't have to, you know, they take a bunch, like an hour out of class time or whatever, and you're giving away stuff. And um, I'm getting ready to leave the house, so it's about, to be a, it's about to be a good day. And I got my Valentine's box in my hand. You guys remember those? 
Yeah, I got my Valentine's box, and I got my, my cards or what, my candy and cards and stuff in my, in my book bag, and I'm getting ready to leave the house, and my mom stops me, and she's like, hey, Zach, wait up. I want you to give, me, give you this, and she gives me a heart-shaped box of chocolates, and she says, I want you to give this to Danielle, and I'm like, but, you know, but mom, no, you know, that's what we do when we're kids. We're like, no, mom, please, no. And she's like, you got to go. The bus is coming. And she's like, you need to give that to Danielle today. And I'm like, mom. Oh. And then I stuff it in my bag before I, as I'm running out to the bus. I get on the bus and I'm just like, oh, how am I going to do this? This is so embarrassing. Danielle was a girl in my class that also went to church. And so my mom knew her and my parents were friends with her parents. And it was just a terrible situation. And so... There was no learning that day, okay? All I was doing all day was like, how am I going to hand her this stupid box in front of everybody? Like, like, how do I do this where people won't see me? Like, this is embarrassing. My mom is a terrible person. And I'm thinking about that all day. And I do what we all do when we run into something that we got to do that we don't want to do. I put it off. And I kept putting it off, and I kept putting it off until I got like 10 minutes left of the day. Actually, it was school was out. We actually got onto the bus, and we rode the same bus. And I was like, this is it. I got to do this. And so I went, and I sat next to Danielle on the bus. And, uh, you know, I got this, again, this stupid box out. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to get in trouble if I get home and I haven't given this to her. And, uh, and I hand it to her, and I'm like, I say something like, Oh, here, my mom told me to give this to you. Happy Valentine's Day. You know, whatever I said. And it didn't take but two seconds for the whole bus to go, ooh, Zach likes Danielle. And everybody's chattering and everybody's laughing and talking about it. And then she got an older sister on the bus and she's like, so what if Zach likes Danielle? You know, he should like it. And it was just embarrassing. And Danielle, by the way, it was super pretty. And so that didn't help things either. And, um, and it would have been way easier if she was ugly, okay? I'm just saying. Because then no one would, yeah, it's, like, that sounds mean, but it's the truth. And it was just terrible. And why did my mom make me do that? I don't know. Just to torture me is the only thing that I come up with. There is no good reason in my mind that she should have made me do that. And so, um, although I can't wait, I'm definitely going to do that to my kids, all three of them, <laughs> payback. But here's the deal. As parents, sometimes we do dumb stuff. Okay, we recognize that as parents. Like, we know as we look back, we're like, yeah, I don't know why I had them do that. Here's the deal. Kids, your imperfect parents, believe it or not, will once in a while want you to do something that you are going to think is dumb. All right? And you are not going to want to do. And here's God, because he happens to use this word, everything. I've tried to get around it. You just can't. All right? Here's God saying, as a kid, right, it doesn't matter what you think. Unfortunately, it doesn't matter. If you think it's dumb, it doesn't matter. If you're not going to, you know, if it's something that you don't want to do, if it's not morally wrong, here's God telling you, as a kid, he's saying, obey, do it. And then he says, because this pleases me. All right, so kids, you want to please God, which you should Right? He's saying you need to obey your parents because that makes God happy. It pleases him. And I get it that you can rarely see in the moment, but the bonus is it's probably good for you anyway. Okay? All right, let's go on. Um, he, while we're on the parenting thing, 
He says, by the way, fathers, I don't want you to exasperate your children. Now, this word exasperate, this means basically uh, needlessly frustrating them or um, being just unreasonable, which is exactly what my mom was that day, and I haven't forgiven her for that yet. Um, but, uh, but here, the, uh, he, Paul, he singles out the dads, which is kind of interesting to me. And I think, knowing myself mostly, I think we dads struggle with this a lot more than moms. Okay, I think we needlessly frustrate our kids, and I think sometimes we are unreasonable um, with them. And so, dads, one of the ways that you lead in the home is you are to be a parent, right? That's an important way, meaning you lead when it comes to parenting. You don't slack off. A lot of times what I see dads is, dads, we kind of just, like, we have the propensity to slack off, which then forces our wife to lead in this area. That's not how the home is supposed to work. Dads, you are to lead in all areas of parenting. You are to lead when it comes to loving your kids. You are to lead when it comes to correcting your kids. You are to lead when it comes to disciplining your kids. You are to lead when it comes to protecting your kids. To put it this way, dads, just so you know, someday in your future, this is going to be a very, very real day, you are going to stand before your creator and you are going to give an account to how you led your family. That doesn't freak you out a little bit? I don't know what does. That is going to happen to you, dads. That will happen. And so you're going to give an account for how you loved and sacrificed for your wife, and you're going to give an account for how you parented and how you raised your kids. It's kind of freaky. All right, by the way, let me just point this out to kids. Notice that he is addressing the parents. Do not exasperate your children, not you. So kids, it's not your job to go, um, dad, mom, didn't you listen to Pastor Zach yesterday or today or whatever? You know, you're exasperating me, okay? <laughs> I know some of you kids are going to use this against your parents. I know, because I totally would have. Um, this isn't for you. You don't get to decide if your parents are being unreasonable or not. This is for your parents, okay? So they get to decide. Basically, it is a big deal to lead a family. And what God's saying is that these relationships really, really, really matter And lastly, Paul describes the work relationship. Now, he starts off with this word slaves. And here in our particular culture, when we see the word slaves, I mean, we automatically think racism and, you know, certain races and stuff like that. Um, Back in this day, in Rome, all right, most of Rome was slaves. All right, most of the population of Rome was slaves. And so um, slavery was huge. It was everywhere. And it was not based on racism at all, okay? Slavery consisted of every single race there is out there that was part of the Roman Empire. In fact, what's crazy about this particular letter in Colossians is that one of the Colossian guys who are delivering this letter from Paul to the city of Colossae, to the church, happens to be a runaway slave. His name's Onesimus. And, um, and this slave, this runaway slave, is returning to his master, which is what Paul tells him to do. And he's carrying with him this letter to the Colossian church, and he's carrying with him a letter to his master, who's a slave owner named Philemon, which happens to be another book in the Bible. And so he's carrying both of these letters to them. Now, does that mean God condones slavery? Absolutely not. Okay, of course not. But in Paul's day, slavery was just a reality, unfortunately. In fact, many Christians were slaves. Actually, Christians were a lot more likely to be slaves than masters in this day. There was opponents of Christianity who hated Christianity. And the way they described Christianity, and this is a quote, um, they'd say, uh, Christianity is a religion for slaves and women. All right? As they put it down. And so what Paul's doing 
is he's pointing to a particular work relationship that was everywhere in that day. And today, we can still apply these principles, even though we don't fit exactly, to our daily work life. Okay? So that's what we're going to do today. So think about this way. Um, employees, let's say, obey your, he says, human masters. And it's interesting that he uses the word human because you're like, well, duh. Okay, of course they're human. But he's just reminding us real quick. He's like, by the way, remember... Um, you have a heavenly master, too, who's more important and who trumps your human master. So let's say, uh, employees, obey your employers in everything. Okay? It's that word again. Everything. He says, don't work only while being washed as people pleasers. Now, we totally see, we, we know people who do this, right? I mean, we all do this, like, maybe once in a while, where we, boss comes in the room, we're like, oh, I'm working hard. You know? Paul's saying, yeah, uh, don't be that guy. Okay? Don't, don't be that um, we know people like this. A lot of, again, we, we all do this to a certain extent. It's kind of like March Madness. You know how March Madness, they stream the, uh, all the games? You know what I'm talking about? On that Thursday. Well, all the days, I guess. And have you ever noticed the boss button at the bottom corner of that? You will now, okay? And uh, there's a boss button, and you click the boss button in case your boss comes into the room. Um, CBS has already set this up for you. And the, the game goes away and up pops all these, like, meaningless, meaningless, like, charts and spreadsheets and stuff. None of you guys have ever used that? You guys need to get on your game, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you'll use it this March. Actually, Paul's saying don't use that, I guess. But, um, but here's the deal. Some of us try to do, uh, this is like the way our world works. Some of us try to do the least amount of work that we can get away with. That is in no way how a Christian should be, ever. It's not a trait of Christianity. That's not how we are supposed to act at all. all right? We are not supposed to work as people pleasers only while we're being watched, and the rest of the time we kind of slack off and do whatever we want just to make the day easier. No, we are to work, he says, wholeheartedly. This is a word that means like from the soul. All right, like we put our soul and our heart into our work. Why? Because we are actually working for the Lord, all right, fearing the Lord. He repeats in case we missed it. He says, by the way, in case you missed it, whatever you do, do it from the heart. He says it again as something done for the Lord and not for people. Why? Because you know that you will receive the reward of inheritance from the Lord. And then the third time he repeats, just in case we missed the first two times, he's like, remember, you serve the Lord. Right? This is something that is a huge, really, issue in our culture. See, as Christians, we're supposed to be different. As Christians, we are to work on a soul level, meaning we put it all on the line, we give everything that we got, and we work hard. In fact, every single person, you know, those of us in this room that are Christians, we should be the hardest working employees at our factory, at our building, at our plant, at our shop, at our school, at our office, wherever you work. You should be like the hardest working employee. Why? Because you are actually working for God. See, I think some people are like, well, if God was my boss, that would be a heck of a lot easier. You know, my boss is so far away from God, like he, he ain't God at all. Yeah, you don't understand um, yeah, that would be great in that sense, but God would be the most demanding boss in the world because he demands perfection, right? We are to be the hardest working people 
at our workplace. See, God doesn't care as much about the job that you have, but more about the job that you do with the job that you have. And so how we work is important. I just want to point out, um, that does not, this does not mean you put 80 hours into your work week. This is not what I'm saying. This means that the hours that you put in, 40, 45, 50, you know, whatever, um, the hours that you're on the clock, you work hard. Maybe you could do 80 hours worth of stuff if you just worked in those 40 hours. When we're on the clock, we as Christians, we work hard. And in this day and age, that gets noticed. He also talks about employers. He says, masters, again, employers, supervisors, bosses, managers, whatever. He says, deal with your employees justly and fairly. Since you know that you too have a master in heaven. See, managers, bosses, supervisors, owners, whoever you are, well, he's just reminding you. He's, he doesn't put much into it. He just says, by the way, guys, I don't think I have to say it, but I just want you to remember that God is always watching you. And, and he's always there. And he tells us, you need to be just and you need to be fair with your employees. That's how the Christian is supposed to manage those relationships. In fact, our faith should spill out into how you supervise and how you manage your work relationships. And so here, Paul is saying relationships are important, right? Like they just are. And there's a bunch of different types of relationships that we all have, but they are important. And how we do relationships matter and there's a right way of doing it, and there are many, 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 many wrong ways of doing relationships. And so when we do relationships God's way, specifically here today, our most important ones, our marriages, our, kid, our relationships with our kids, our relationships with our parents, our relationships with our bosses, our relationships with our employees, when we do that the right way, what Paul's saying is, man, it is so, 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 so good for you. See, we think we don't need people. I don't need that person. I don't care. No, no. Paul's like, no, you do. It's how you were built. It's how you were created. He's saying, when you do relationships the right way, it is so good for you, and it's also so good for them. And so that's probably enough stuff for us to work on this next week, I would think. All right? That's a lot of stuff right there. It's stuff that we all need to work on. Let's pray. Uh, God, we thank you for these words. And some of the stuff, man, it's just so complicated. And it's hard. And it's against our natural, normal desire, really, to put ourselves first. And God, we ask that as we go through this week and as we go back to work and as we, even right now as we go back to our homes and back to our families, Lord, we ask that you would help us to do our marriages and help us to parent and help us to relate to our parents and help us to go to work in the right way, with the right attitude, doing life the way that you have called us to do life. And God, we thank you for these words, and we thank you for really giving us the instructions of how to put together a good relationship. And God, we thank you for that. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.